the Dead Pair Podcast is energized by KL Ammo Game Boy US. Oh. Welcome to the Dead Pair Podcast, coming in hot with everything you want to hear about sporting clays. Guy Fieri. How are you, gentlemen? Thanks for having me. Anthony Batteries Jr., how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Welcome back, David Radulovic. That's a net positive. <laughs> Brad Kidd. Corey Cruz. Thank you for joining us this evening. Now I feel awkward. With your hosts, Jason Rambo. One more Red Bull for you. And Sean Alley. Woo, yeah! It's Christmas. Let's do it! Often imitated, but never duplicated. It's the Dead Pair Podcast. Dead Pair. And now, it's showtime. It's showtime, Mr. Alley. Yes, sir. How's it been going, Mr. Rambo? Uh, Doing good. Yeah. Staying pretty... busy? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. We have completely scrapped the tower design that we had. Uh, too expensive. Wasn't selling enough. So completely scrapped it, started over. Myself, the engineers, the designers, we sat down and we came up with something that is stronger, lighter, mm-hmm. quicker to assemble, and dun dun dun, dun, dun cheaper. Hey, there's so, the magic word. There's yes. the magic word. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. we've been hard at work at that. As you know, I've had health issues, so I've been hard at work at that. Right. Uh, trying to improve myself and shed a few pounds and, I don't know, maybe hit the gym every once in a while. Maybe. 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 <laughs> and I know you're you're buried in flyers and banners and stuff flying everywhere. I walk in the door and I've got life-size people on posters scaring the crap out of me. And Yeah, a little scary thing when you walk in the door. <laughs> it's like, whoa, who's that dude? <laughs> who's that guy? <laughs> so, busy, busy, huh? Yeah, busy, busy. Uh, not with just work, but uh, we just got done kind of doing a remodel on our house, so we're moving back in this weekend we're going to be moving everything back in so been very busy with that and getting you know furniture and all kinds of odds and ends wrapped up so sure well i mean i know you're not going to national so you haven't been practicing for it but i've been trying to bust birds three times a week now and yeah just this whole year's been tough for me with the with the home remodel and all the other stuff that's been going on haven't had a chance to practice as much as i'd like and unfortunately having to pull the plug on the on the nationals is a, is a heartbreaking thing for me because i really did want to go but with all the stuff that's left to do, and it's not right to let my wife shoulder that responsibility by herself. Uh, she's so. she's been carrying your weight long enough. She has been, and she's tired. Yes, that's a lot of weight to carry. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Poor girl. Poor girl. Uh, but yeah, no, we're we're making headway and finally getting back in there. So that feels nice. But I've still got probably a good month to a month and a half of work to do to get things buttoned up. Winter's coming quickly, as you know. Yes. Uh, got to get all that stuff done, buttoned up outside. Uh, no shortage of things to do. So speaking of shirts, did you get me my shirt for the Nationals that says he can't make it? I'll be working on that. <laughs> he ain't here. He ain't here. <laughs> uh, speaking of shirts, uh, time everybody hears this, it's going to be too late uh, to get your limited edition Cardinal Shooting Center Dead Pair Podcast Night Shoot hoodie, uh, I guess you could call it, the one with the neon green, the black one. It was pretty cool. Uh, but they, they still have T-shirts and hats available and regular hoodies available over at clayshootingapparel.com. Yes. Uh, you can always go to our website if you can't remember it. Hit the swag button up on the top, and it'll take you right there. So get yourself some dead pair swag. Right. Well, we've got kind of a, a neat, interesting podcast this evening. Yes. We've got a nice guest do. coming on here to talk about some cool stuff. Mr. Clint Hinton. Yes. Yes. And I know Anxious. you two have been talking about a lot of different scenarios yeah man i tell you what if there's ever been a guy that you just want to sit down and have a drink with and tell stories it's this guy i mean i had such a great conversation with him probably three or four times leading up to this so i'm anxious to get him on the phone and hear what he has to say cool well let's do it then well 
Jeez, don't be so pushy. Sorry. Man, throwing your weight around again. Sorry. (laughs) Hey, everyone, stick by. We're going to get Clint on the phone right now. All right, welcome to the show, Mr. Clint Hinton. How are you, sir? Doing good, doing good, Jason. Hope y'all are doing good tonight. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good, doing good, Clint. I'm glad to have you here tonight. Jason was telling me a lot about you guys been talking outside the studio, so I'm really interested to hear some of the stuff you got to say. Well, no, we can't, we mm-hmm. can't talk about. It. And I remember, Clint, we got lawyers, and so we can't tell that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we all have to have good lawyers. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, Clint, for those that are listening and don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, uh, a little bit of background, and you know what class you're in and all that fun stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, obviously my name's Clint Hinton. Um, my hometown is, uh, Decula, Georgia. A lot of people pr- uh, mispronounce the name of my hometown. I have heard Dacula, Decula, uh, Dracula on the news before local news. <laughs> so, wow. um, so I, I try to abbreviate how you say my hometown. It's Dacula. Dacula. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, I've, I've been shooting all in all, probably 22 years now. Um, didn't start shooting registered targets until 2007, sometime later that year when I became a member of the NSCA. And ever since then, it's just, it's been a good ride. You know, I've enjoyed shooting, um, something that was kind of special to me. Uh, I feel like. You know, all those years ago when we first started shooting clay targets, it was sort of a, a recreational thing for us to get ready for dove season and quail season here in Georgia. Um, and th- that was usually throughout the fall. And what was kind of sentimental and special to me, the first place I ever shot clay targets was at Cherokee Rose uh, in Griffin, Georgia. And, you know, we, we shot there for quite a few years. And then finally, the, it just kind of shut down due to different exchanging hands and then um when i finally got to see it revamped and reopened uh back to its former glory uh that that was kind of sentimental for me uh getting back to my roots and going back to cherokee rose all these years later so that was something special to me um currently i'm in master class I've, i've been in master class now coming up 13 years you know and i feel like every year that goes by i learn something new and and that's what you want to have you want to have that kind of progress where you feel like you're learning something new as every year passes by well clint if you don't mind can you share some of your major accomplishments that you've had since since you got up to the top absolutely um it, it's it's not a lot um there has been some noteworthy ones that uh have kind of been near and dear to me uh probably where it started for me sort of my i guess the the, the climb to the top and the boost that i needed was in 2013, I won junior at the U.S. Open uh, at Backwoods Quail Club. And the year was kind of steady after that. Um, and then next year, uh, the following year in 2014, which was the last year for me being in the junior concurrent, I, I won the national championship in the junior concurrent. And it was, it was a good way. That was, to me, the most memorable win because that was a good way to finish out a, a full – category like current so you know junior cat you know categories obviously 17 to 21 so me being 21 that year that was kind of a, a memorable win for me uh because that was the last year i was in the junior category 
Now you had some pretty stiff competition that year, right? We did. The the junior concurrent, I would say for two or three years there was pretty stiff. Um, that was a tough category to compete in. I mean, and and it is still to this day because you've got, I mean, you've got sub juniors and juniors running and gunning, and they're able to compete with the big dogs at the top of the game. You, you'll see their names, you know, every once in a while. Let's just say every other shoot, yeah. uh, major shoots, you know, regionals, U.S. Open, state shoots. You'll see their names at the top just as much as you see the big dogs at the top. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But in fourteen, didn't you say you were up against David and who else was it was in there? So, I believe it was David um, Brady Sims. He's from up north somewhere. I believe Brady is from Pennsylvania. Um, Hunter Dreher was from Texas, uh, as well as Fisher. Um, I believe my cousin was in junior at the time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know my cousin Will Hinton. He he shoots for the AMU, uh, the Army Marksmanship Unit. Mm-hmm. So there was. At one time, I would say within a two-year period, I said there was 10 juniors that were at the top at all times. So that year um, that I won the junior category at the national championship, it, it, was, a, uh, it was a nail-biter, especially after day two, because it was, we were so separated only by one target apiece. It just went down the row one target apiece, and, and that's how it ended up being on Sunday. I think between the five spots in junior, we were only separated by like six targets. Wow. Now, did that weigh heavy on you when you're out there shooting and owning the, the competition that you're up against? It, it does, especially if you if you look at the scoreboard after day two at the national championship and you know that you're in the running and you have a shot at it. It's kind of like I want to step away from my phone and quit looking at wind score and quit looking at the scoreboard uh, in the parking lot. And kind of want to just step away and have uh, an evening where you're relaxed and you you have a good dinner and you get your mind away from what's going on and, and the contention that you have going into Sunday, especially. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, you and your family owned a club for a number of years, correct? Well, we uh, we actually managed a club. Um, it was Elbert County Gun Club in Elberton, Georgia. So we uh, we managed it from two th- late 2007 all the way to August of 2014. And did you have hands-on experience in that or not really much? Not much. Um, it, it's kind of ironic. We were just kind of thrown into the mix of it because we, we went to this club to shoot. And I think they needed some help financially. They needed a little bit of a boost to kind of revamp the club to its former days. Um, and so my dad just, he agreed to be, uh, he agreed to accept the, the position of president of the gun club. And from there, we, we, that's, it was kind of like getting thrown in the fire and having to learn how to set targets, how to work on machines, um, basically groundskeeping of the club and what keeps people interested in coming back to that club. Gotcha. So I take, is your dad a shooter as well? He is, a. Uh, my dad's been shooting since 19 clay targets wise. I mean, he's been shooting since around 1984. Um, and he actually had a membership that all those years ago when Cherokee roads first opened up. So I take it, he learned a lot and your family probably learned a lot about what it takes to make a shooter happy. Uh, what kind of things you have to do to maintain the course. And then also all the, uh, the other stuff, the not so much fun stuff, the the amount of work (laughs) involved in doing all that. Right. 
Correct. And, and all three of those factors really play in, um, you know, for one, when you're, when you're running a club, keeping your shooters happy is the main thing. So, which, which means uh, it could be in a multitude of things, but by, by definition for me is setting good targets. Um, nothing too stiff, nothing too fluff, as we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and constantly changing your courses around. Cause I, I remember to keep people interested in coming back and shooting your targets. I would change the course uh, along with my dad and we had a friend and we had a club manager also we tried to change the course up every two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's to me, that's what keeps your shooters coming back. They want variety. They want to see a change. Um, and even moving the stands around, showing them a little bit different terrain as well. Yeah. Well, Jason, and I've been to many clubs where you can tell a trap hasn't been moved forever because the grass has grown up, you know, a foot and a half, two <laughs> foot around it. So you're like, okay, these, this target's been thrown the same way for the last, you know, two months. So yeah, it's, it's definitely important to move those targets around. It is, and it, that's what keeps your shooters coming back. Um, even on the on the one day registered shoots, uh, the, at the time we were down there, we never held a major shoot. Uh, most of our shoots were just one day Saturday registered shoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we usually tried to keep the crowd coming back, uh, even if if the next shoot wasn't for a month or two months away. Um, we tried to prepare a good lunch for everybody, um, and and we had good numbers at shoots. We would have as a small club like that, we would have over 60 shooters and I've seen sometimes over a hundred shooters at a one day shoot, just because you do those things, you know, right. prepare a good lunch for them, have good targets, uh, keeping the grounds up to look, uh, somewhat, well, basically not like the grass has been grown up around the machines. They definitely don't want to see that. Well, you mentioned a, an important thing right there, lunch. That's a lot of, th- a lot of that, that. That's a major subject. That a lot of people don't really give enough credit because, to, to all of us weekend shooters, I mean, this we do this as a hobby. We do this for fun. We try to compete and be competitive. But, you know, if we're going to spend the money, it's important that you get a good meal, right? <laughs> well, now, see, exactly. I, that depends on who you talk to. Right. Because if you got on the West Coast where Chad's at, They'd rather see the money go back to class. Yeah, that's a good point. But I guess if you're going to go to a club where you're where it's known to serve a lunch, let's yeah, just say that you're, you're going to a shoot yeah. and you're you're pretty much taken for granted they're going to serve a lunch, it goes a long way if you put a little bit of effort into it. I tell you, the only time it matters to me when's that when I'm shooting a cardinal and I'm not shooting very well, I know I get to look forward to the city barbecue that's going to be catered at lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, that's right. a, you know I've done thrown away my scorecard. Right. Yeah, you know, right. I look like somebody just peeled it off of the patterning board. It's just the one saving grace that you're going to eat well. Right. So I know I'm going to go <laughs> pig out in a clubhouse. Right. But, right. Uh, so Clint, do you still do any coaching? I do. Um, based on, uh, and this kind of leads into what I do for a living. Um, I do when I have the time and and i have to kind of schedule if somebody calls want to take a two or three hour lesson i kind of have to schedule that accordingly okay because on the set days that i have off um it sometimes doesn't work out because most clubs I mean, some of the days that i have off or could be on a monday it could be on a tuesday um, most of the clubs here locally uh their their days that they're closed are usually mondays and tuesdays so I typically try to do lessons with people, uh, even with groups, on either a Thursday or my weekend off, which occurs about every third weekend of the month. Mm-hmm. And I get three days off, so it's nice that if this if 
you know, X, Y, Z shooters want to take a lesson. I'll try to schedule them all on a, on a Friday if I can, or even a Saturday or even that Sunday, I try to schedule them all on one day. Um, especially since I don't get to see them that often. Right. I don't try to cram them in together, but I try to make it beneficial to them. That way they're all getting a fair amount of time. Right. Well, you know, that, that kind of leads me into something there. That's something we don't talk about a lot is the difference between going and taking a lesson versus having a full-time coach, which neither one is incorrect in my opinion. Uh, and even if you do have a full-time coach, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a lesson from someone else. So in other words, what you're saying is you're basically giving instruction or a lesson, right? And you don't have a full-time student as a coach. Is that right, cor- That's correct. Yeah. So you take a guy like Bill McGuire that really doesn't have a set home club and he really doesn't coach a student. In other words, somebody that's going to contact him throughout the week and talk about things and, you know, maybe go for a fresh up once a month or whatever, but there's nothing wrong with that. You can still go take a lesson from somebody like yourself, Clint, or from Bill and learn a lot. Even if you are working with a coach full time, am I correct in saying this or do you see what I'm trying to get at? I agree. It's, it's kind of like, um, this is a good way to put it. It's kind of like going to a doctor uh, for something that you've got going on health wise and then one of you go get a second opinion from another doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. It's sort of the same way. Um, you want to hear both sides of it, what their synopsis is, what you what you could change in yourself. And I think that's the best way to summarize that. I don't see a problem with going and getting a second opinion, right? Especially if you take a lesson with somebody and, and immediately something just doesn't click. And and not to say that it always does when you're teaching somebody or working with them on something particular on a course or if it's a particular target. I think that it doesn't hurt to go get a second opinion. Right. Because um, that way you, you kind of can form, you can kind of form, a, I would say, if you go take uh, a lesson from three different shooters and let's just say Ohio, um, you can kind of form an opinion on what works better for you or if you can pull all three of those people's teaching style together to work into your own style. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause I think that's one of the things, I mean, there are certain coaches that kind of preach their methodology and their methodology is the only thing that's going to work. And then there's other coaches who are a little more flexible. I think that, you know, if you're, you know, if you're going to do yourself a favor, it's probably good to go out and get a little bit of experience from different people. And like you said, hopefully pull some little nuggets of wisdom and, and knowledge from different coaches. I mean, coach a might be your, your, your standard coach, but then taking a lesson from another coach at a different time may open up some doors and may make you think a little bit differently on, on certain subjects. I mean, would you agree with that Clint? I agree. And, and something you could add to that advice that I could give to shooters that are starting out and let's just say uh, he's the freshman shooter that's been shooting for one or two years and he's wanting to be a little bit more serious about how his hobby is and how he can progress through this hobby and enjoy it more and get better. Um, The recommendation I could give to that particular shooter is find somebody that's relatable to you. Find somebody that has your same sense of humor, find somebody that can explain it the way you could explain things to people. Right. And, and, and the second part of that too is uh, if you get a chance to get out there on the course, 
and not even involving instruction, just get on the course with them and shoot a full round of sporting clays with them. You can pick up on certain certain things as well. Absolutely. Um, and I think that transitions. Let's say you go to the next tournament, that can transition into finding a good group of people to shoot with. And at that point, if you're with uh, skilled level shooters such as yourself in the same boat or better shooters, you can pick up on things. And and having better shooters with you on a squad kind of helps you push yourself beyond your limits, I would say. Yes. So yep. that, that squad, if you form a good squad like that, you sort of, the squad carries each other. Right. I agree. That just happened here recently. Sean and uh, myself and another buddy of ours, JD, that we shoot with all the time, we, we feed off of each other. And sure enough, uh, between the best and the worst score of the three of us, we were five birds apart. Yep. And, you know, if if I'm shooting with, you know, say three other master class guys on my squad, I'm probably shooting to my best ability just because I feed off of them. You know what I mean? That's right. Yep. But, um, Hey Clint, something I wanted to bring up and we won't, we won't dive too deep into this, but you know, you and I were talking about, it's become national news, uh, up here in Lake Erie, they had that walleye tournament and those guys were caught cheating, uh, stuffing the fish with, uh, you know, egg weights or well we call egg weights is like a lead weight fishing weight so you remember that conversation right yes i do you know it's it got me thinking um when we got done talking about that there's cheating in every sport i mean every single sport you know nascar the the teams are always trying to pull something get that little bit of edge i mean think deflate gate you know years ago with the footballs and you know there's just there's always some cheating going on you can't stop it it's always going to happen but i think what they're doing up there in lake erie they're trying to prosecute those guys i mean like they call the cops and it's it's mm-hmm. serious now do you think that that we need to get to that to try to eliminate some of this i would say so cuz after i heard about what happened on lake erie and saw the two guys and watched the full video of the weigh-in. You know, they weighed in everybody, and, of course, it. I guess it was their dumb luck uh, and kind of – you could call it karma, I guess. But they were the last ones to weigh in, and the guys before them, um, I would say it was like at least three other teams that weighed in prior to them within a, within a matter of 15 minutes. You look at the, the highest – uh, number for the five fish and those guys were like 18 pounds and something uh, maybe maybe within a couple ounces over 18 pounds and then when these two guys come to weigh in with five fish they were over 33 pounds so immediately to other competitors that were fishing that day that's a major red flag mm-hmm. right right so luckily the guy that was you know the MC announcing the weights uh, as everybody weighed in I mean, I don't know if you watched the video, but he went over there and actually pulled the fish out of the weigh bags and put them in the basket and, and noticed that a couple of the fish uh, had part of their gut cut. And oh that's when goodness. he reached in and felt egg weights and found cut up fish fillet in the bellies of the walleye. Wow. So, and, and within all of that happening, you hear in the video, you hear police sirens and the police were there within, I would say, two or three minutes. So, I, I mean, honestly, after watching that, and I know, you know, reading the article that there was only twenty nine thousand dollars 
on the line, but still that, you know, whether it was, it was a six figure tournament or $29,000, that's still a lot of money. Right. Yes. And I guess where I'm going with this is, is they, the authorities were called, especially since there was line. So it's to that point they were called because they knew these people had paid their money to get in this tournament. And to them, this could be a form of gambling. So it's kind of like trying to count cards in Vegas. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, you know, I've read several opinions from other, you know, like Bass Masters down here in the South, what they would do. Um, should there be any sort of legality charges put on them? Should they be arrested? Should uh, there be a permanent ban? Um, and, and this kind of relates to sporting clays. We've had cheaters in the past. Uh, whether it's been through, you know, saying, oh, I saw a piece off a target and intimidating some poor, you know, 15, 16-year-old girl or boy that's, you know, trapping on the stand or refing the stand, whether it's through trapper intimidation or through, hey, you know, he's got an ally watching his back in the squad and saying, hey, you know, he's calling chips for the guy. Right. Um, I think that, you know, and, Until we actually start making an example of cheaters in any sport, uh, whether it's fishing or shooting or golf, I think until we start making permanent examples, we won't change anything that happens. So um, I would just say if we we catch people cheating in a tournament where there's a lot of money involved, I mean, you know, it should be a one and done. We, We should just eliminate this probationary stuff and go straight to a permanent ban. Yeah, I think if you're, you know, if you're shooting for a plastic trophy, you know, ban the guy for the rest of the year from that club, right? But if there's money on the line, I think it needs to go a little deeper. Yeah, because it's almost like theft. I mean, at that point, you're basically stealing somebody else's money. And and that's the bad thing about anybody who's honest. You're always going to get the short end of the stick if somebody's creative enough to come up with an idea on how to cheat the system, right? I agree. I would agree. Well, hey, speaking of money at tournaments, um, the late Tony Rivera wrote an article uh, before his passing uh, that was recently published in Clay Shooting USA, and I heavily encourage everybody to go read this article. Um, It's called Sporting Clay's Handicap. You and Tony had collaborated quite a bit on this article at the time he was writing it. Is that that right? Can you elaborate on that? So several years ago... um and, and about the only time I saw Tony, especially in the last five years, was once a year at Nationals. And I'd always bump into him, and, and whether it was a five-minute conversation just to just to talk and see how each of us were doing, how's life going, how's work, uh, or whether we sat down and talked for an hour. Um, he brought this up to me several years ago, and, and it was just in 15 minutes of conversation. I liked the idea mm-hmm. because it kind of – it's a new twist. I would say it's different. Um, and, and the reason I don't think it got brought to fruition is because, you know, people are creatures of habits. Um, right. Both of change. Everything that Tony mentioned to me about uh, match play, I think it should be attempted at least one time by some club that way. Uh, some guy that's, you know, an E or D class year, as we have discussed before, uh, he throws in a hundred bucks, and if he's the big winner that weekend, he comes home with you know four or five or six thousand dollars, and then he goes to work on Monday. He can tell his buddies what he did this weekend. Exactly. Then you got to line out the door the next tournament. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I, I would say to keep that style 
and format going that's such a big change um i would say you know you know put the money in it and i think to get the big numbers that you're hosting or you're hoping to host uh just make the shoot as a memorial for tony himself absolutely yeah agree 100 percent well, Clint, when you and, you and Tony were talking about this, what do you think was the biggest motivating factor about this idea of this 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 match play? I would say, I think there's two parts to that. I would say wanting to kind of keep it fair and balanced. That way it gives every shooter an attempt to win big money. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and then the second part of that was to get money back into the sport. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I know that reading the article, and, it, and it's a very interesting article. Again, we can't stress enough. You guys need to go look that up. I mean, he mentioned, even back then, talking about the increased cost of travel, ammo, um, and, and obviously not only leveling the playing field uh, and increasing payouts, uh, but it also could decrease the amount of days needed at a tournament, uh, thus overall bringing down the cost for the shooter. I mean, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a major factor for for a lot of shooters? I mean, especially these days. With let's take it, uh, gas prices are up, travel prices are up, ammo prices are up, hotels are up, I rental mean, car, everything yeah. is just way more expensive than it than it should be. And when you talk to a person about m- making a, a commitment to a three to four day event, I mean, you're you're talking about thousands of dollars of expense just to go to that event, right? I I would agree. I mean, uh, let's just. Let's just take a weekend state shoot. Uh, if you're gone three days and you, and let's say you take uh, Friday off of work, you might as well say that that's a two thousand dollar weekend or three thousand dollar. Exactly, shoot. sure, and, easy. And that's just for a state shoot. If you just take off on a Friday and shoot Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep. Um, and I think this this is more relatable to your working class blue collar shooters that. I would, you know, I would throw myself in that classification because, you know, there's, there's times I just can't get off on weekends because I'm stuck at work and Mm -hmm. as bad as I want to make some of these shoots, I just, I just can't swing it. Right. So I think uh, this has been a huge factor into that. As you say, um, everything is sky high right now. So in the shooting community right now, people that enjoy the sport, there are those that have just plenty of money and can go to every shoot every weekend, every other weekend, however you want to label it. But then there are those that work a full-time job and they know at this point with the economy being bad, they have to budget. And in a good reference, um, I'll go back to Matt Miller's podcast y'all had recently. It's like he said, some working class shooters, you know, that's a big commitment when you budget 30, even forty thousand dollars in one year to to go to these shoots. That's oh, a big absolutely. commitment. Absolutely. And let me I, I know there's a lot of people scratching their heads right now. Either they don't get this magazine or don't have access to it. They need to somehow, some way, even if they just buy the single issue. But let me let me put a couple things in perspective so people understand this. First of all, what Tony's talking about here, let's take me for example. I'm getting ready to go to the nationals, right? That trip is going to cost me $5,000, okay? I'm going to be there from... Easily. Right. I'm going to be there from Tuesday through Sunday with all my entry fee, flight, hotel room, gas, food, you know, on and on and on. Golf cart rental. Golf cart rental. I mean, yeah, the freaking golf cart's over $800, okay? So now, what if I could go there, spend half that money? Who cares about putting an extra $100 in the purse? But Tony's point was the national championship. 
He said, if you got 2,000 shooters, that is a $400,000 purse with no sponsorship money, no money put up by the club. That is a $400,000 purse. Just for the main. Just, Just for the main. Okay. Now, here's the cool thing. Everybody's going, yeah, you know, the master class guy. Okay, no, 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 no. The point of this match play and how it works right now, technically the way it is right now, and he and I think, Clint, you'll agree with this, out of 2,000 people that are attending, plus people that are attending the Nationals, there's 20 people with a chance to win the overall. Is that right? Do you agree with that, Clint? I would agree. Okay. I would really agree with that. So Tony's point is now all 2,000 people have a chance of winning. Because it's based on handicap. Some guy in freaking E-class can walk out of there with a $400,000 purse. If you divide that up, I don't know. What's he walking out of there with? Fifty grand. A bunch. Yeah, so what's $100? And by the way, he didn't have to be there Tuesday through Sunday. He didn't even have... This doesn't even count towards a four-day rotation. This is having a main event over two days with that volume of people and have that kind of payout. I think this is something that I agree with you, Clint. I think... If we just get some clubs, just step up and try it. It doesn't have to be a big event. If you have 100 people there, that's a $10,000 purse. It's 100 bucks on top of your normal entry fee. Yeah, for a regular Saturday shoot. <laughs> right. So guess what? If there's a $10,000 purse, and it doesn't matter what class you're in or what your averages are because it's all based on your averages, right? So you're going to get a handicap in this. And you're, it doesn't matter what class or what your ability is, you have a chance of winning serious money. That suddenly, all of a sudden, puts all this expense for this game into perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're a, a C-class guy and you don't have that thirty or $40,000 budget towards shooting, you've only got, let's say you've only got ten grand you could put towards the whole entire year of shooting. All of a sudden, you could walk into an event with $200 entry fee and walk out with five grand. You just made half your year's budget. You know what I mean? I think this is, he's got some really, really good ideas here, and I hope clubs will step out and try this. Go read the article. Man, I'm telling you, it, it's. The, the I, potential's I, there. The potential's there. It, it really is. And, and you know, just to, just to rewind on that, um, one thing I will point out, when we ran the gun club for those seven years, um, we had a lot of people complain about an issue that I didn't see as an issue. Uh, Jason, Sean, I'll put it to you this way. If you would have showed up to, my, to the club we ran, you got a good lunch, and when you paid your entry fee, $10 of the money in your entry fee that was included, $10 is included back to class. Mm-hmm. And so many people complained about $10 because they didn't want that. They didn't want to pay the extra $10. It's like, well, I understand that, but it's included with your entry fee. Right. And there's so many people to this day that complain about that. And, and that's what I can't wrap my head around. And that's and well, the reason I can't. And I, yeah, don't, I, I didn't mean it. I don't want you, I want you to finish your point, but, but I want to <laughs> jump in here for a second. You don't want to interrupt, but you are. Yeah, I don't want, I, I want you to finish your point. Hold your thought for a second. But let me guess the same guy that's complaining pulled up in an $80,000 pickup truck with a $35,000 side by side swinging a $20,000 Krieg off. <laughs> And he's going to complain about ten bucks. Yep. Yeah. that's exactly where I was going with this. Yeah. Yep. Well, but <laughs> you showed up <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if you announce that this event, this is what it is. You know what I mean? It's look, guys. We're not going to do this every time. We're going to try it and see if it works. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to have this one-off event. But listen, 
I know you're complaining about $100 extra, but look at the chance of the money. It's not, you can be an E-class and go toe-to-toe with a master class guy and whip his butt because you're hand, you've got a handicap. Well, take the AFS Game Boy Invitational. There's the prime example right there. There you go. I mean, the kid in D-class won it all last year. He's in C-class this year. Guess what? He won it all he again. He won it all again. Yep. Well, this, this, instead of walking out with, I think he won 50 flats and bare belt vest and good on him, you know? Right. That same event, if it had this kind of entry fee and that kind of payout, he'd be walking out with all that stuff plus about fifteen dollars or $20,000. Sure. You know, suddenly that rental car for 600 bucks over three days doesn't make that big of a whoop, does it? You know what I mean? But, I, I mean. I, it, I, I'm sorry, Clint. I don't mean to interrupt you, so. <laughs> You're fine. Like I said, what you just said is exactly where I was going with that. We we had a guy, no kidding. The one of the bigger shoots that we had that was a one day registered event uh, rolled up in Aston Martin and had a brand new Perazzi and was complaining about paying ten dollars extra included in his entry fee for back class. And I'm thinking. Okay, how much does a brake pad cost for that Aston Martin you're driving around? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I guess to him, that's out of sight, out of mind. But, but I guess it really goes back to the motivation of why you shoot. I mean, most of us shoot this game because we love it. There's not a lot of money to be made, and especially if you're not at the top of the game, you're really not going to make a lot of money. I mean, you're going to make hardly anything at all. I mean, I, me and Jason haven't made any. <laughs> yeah, and that was another point that Tony made in his article is – if you go down to the boat dock at a local bass tournament, you're not going to hear one guy there say, oh, I don't have a chance of winning. I'm just here to shoot with my buddies and have fun. No, they're there because they want to win, and there's a mm-hmm. chance that they can win money. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we change that outlook on sporting clays instead of just doing it for fun where there was a chance, regardless of your ability or class or whatever, to win some money? I, man, this might be a serious growth opportunity for this sport and for the clubs. I mean, th- think about it this way. If a club is struggling to get 100 people in the door and all of a sudden they've got an abundance of people, 300 people that show up for a tournament, what's that do for that club? You know? I mean, I don't know. I'm getting wound up about it because I'm excited but, but about all, it. But all it boils down to is doing it that first time. I think it needs to be done. I think it needs to be done. And I'm telling you right now, I'll throw this out there. and Sean's going to hate me for this. If there's a club that's willing to try this and go by Tony's format 100% to a T, I'd be happy to announce it. I don't care where you're at in the country. I'll be happy to announce it right here on the Dead Pair Podcast and help try and get some people there to try it. I ain't going to hate you for that. I, okay. I'm, I'm right alongside with you. Okay. Sean's phone well, number is 614 Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I told you you were going to hate me for this. Well, I didn't know my number was going out in public, so yeah, yeah. Well, hey, here's the cool thing about it. This shoot wouldn't even have to be registered. Exactly. Like, that's the cool thing about it. Yes, agreed. Of course, now I probably just made somebody from the NSCA man at me, but... Yeah, but well, it's, it, it's okay, though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is something new, right? And if they try it and it works... And the NSCA goes, hey, we haven't seen any registered. I mean, I don't know what the communication is with clubs, but if they say, hey, we haven't seen registered targets for a while, but I got 500 people showing up to shoot this thing every other weekend. Maybe they raise an eyebrow and maybe they'll come to their attention and maybe they'll try it. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, 
Nobody ever got successful without risking something. So somebody, please, for the love of God, that owns a club, take a risk and try this. Crickets. I got crickets. (laughs) Well, I'm not crickets. I'm in awe. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm in total agreement. I think that it needs to be tried. I think that uh, until you do it for the first time, you're not going to know what the response is going to be. But, but again, I think the tricky thing is it boils down to what motivates a shooter to go to a tournament. What, what takes a person that just goes out and breaks clays at a club with their buddies Mm -hmm. and then they make the decision to go ahead and become registered shooters and, and register with the NSCA. Cause me and you were totally happy going to the club years ago and just busting clays, right? No money on the line. We were having fun. We enjoyed it. Right. And now we got into registered sporting and, and I enjoyed even more as much, if not more than we shot back then. Um, and it's still not money that motivates me to go to a shoot, but I wouldn't mind the chance to win a little bit of money. Right. Well, see, that's our competitive nature that that's why we enjoy registered targets and this goes back to something that anthony mattery said on his podcast how many of your buddies enjoy golf okay let's say you got 20 of them okay how many of those 20 play golf tournaments all the time what maybe well, I don't one enjoy golf I'll, I'll just throw that out there <laughs> <laughs> but but to his point so okay let's say you got 20 of your buddies that are big time golfers right they're diehard golfers they're out there even in the pouring down rain whacking that little white ball around how many of them are tournament players maybe one so you know it's okay to enjoy the recreational side but what if they can go to something like this and they got a chance to win some money. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the PGA Tour, I know I'm using golf as an example here, but if you look at the PGA Tour, and I, I please, nobody beat me up. I don't know the exact numbers. The guy that's in, like, 35th place gets more money than I make in a year. Right. Okay, for whacking a golf ball around for two days, he just made, you know, 150 or 200 grand or whatever, whatever ridiculous amount of money it is. Well, we have all complained about how expensive this sport is. What if you had a chance to win some money back? Right. For 100 bucks, sign me up. Mm-hmm. I am there. I mean, Clint, am I making any sense here or am I just babbling? I mean, it does. It makes me think about taking up golf and start and have to go more, too. <laughs> I would agree. Um, 35th place doesn't sound too bad, does it, Clint? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see if the Waterbury open. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, I mean, it, it's it's something to consider. I think that um, I, I, I would agree. I mean, who knows? I mean, even with match play, you could be 35th place and probably still take home, I don't know, a grand, you know, at that level. Yeah, and yeah, I think that yeah. that's a good weekend for the average Joe. Yeah, absolutely. At least to offset some of the costs going to the tournament, especially even if you break even at that point. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Clint, uh, we'll, we'll we won't dig too much deeper into this. I think we could wrap up a whole episode in that match play though, and it's something I think what needs to be talked about. But uh, moving on from that, um, you know, you made a, a mention of the Matt Miller podcast, and uh, you had told me privately on the phone that you know. What he said on the podcast rang, you know, it was rhetorical with you. Um, Talk a little bit about your work schedule and how you, like, you know, so many other people can relate to Matt. Well, I mean, I mean, my my work schedule, you could almost compare it. I mean, I I work in funeral care and people ask me, I, I get, you would not believe the kind of questions that I get about my job. Um, what have you, have you ever seen this before? Do you get this? Uh, do you sleep well at night? Do you work odd hours? Do you do this? 
and I get all sorts of questions, um, but my work schedule, uh, it, it's consistent and it's based on a schedule, almost like if uh, a doctor was on call or if a nurse is on call. Um, and, and the way I can break it down for you is in the way our rotation work uh, at work goes. It's based on a three week schedule. Um, the first week I get a day off, uh, which will be, you know, usually somewhere in the middle of the week. Uh, second week off, I get uh, another day off. And then when the third week rolls around, um, I get a Monday off. And then that's when my weekend off occurs. So I get Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I have to try to time it just right uh, with these big shoots and my work schedule to make it work out where, you know, and these are things that Matt, I'm sure, uh, discussed in the podcast, not unless I missed it or he discussed with y'all on the phone before his podcast. There's, there's times that where you have to work around your schedule to make it to shoots and you have to think about your vacation days. Yeah. Right. So what he said really hit home for me because that really everything that he said about a working class shooter that has made his way to the top. I totally related with because it's like, he said it better than I could have reverberated right now. So, and here's, I'll give you an example. So our Georgia state shoot this year at big red Oak plantation was back in June. And I was trying to get off where I could go, um, on Wednesday and start shooting some side events on Wednesday and I couldn't make it work. Well, luckily I was able to take off that Thursday and still have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And my bosses have been very gracious with me. My the manager at the funeral home, he's been very gracious with me. Um, especially when they understand that I have a hobby that I'm passionate about and I enjoy. Right. So there was, there was times where, you know, especially the Georgia state shoot this year, you work a late, you know, late hours into the, you know, into the evening and you wake up first thing in the morning and go jump out on the course and you go and win the prelim to working class shooters. That really means something to us because you're stuck at work all week and you're thinking about the tournament this coming weekend or the next week. It's, it's, it's kind of like you tell yourself, man, like, Hey man, if I can just make it through this weekend to work, I'm home free next weekend. I can go shoot somewhere. It's almost like being at work and being stuck there mm-hmm. kind of gives you a little bit more motivation and drive to do better each shoot that you go to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I'm right there with you. So let me ask you this, Clint. I'm going to try and wrap this into somewhat of current events. Um, we got the nationals upon us here. What do you do now based on your work schedule to try and get ready for the nationals? And if you're let – let me throw this – Two, let's make this two parts here. Um, so what do you do now to get ready for the Nationals? And what do you recommend maybe somebody that doesn't have the volume of targets that you have, what that, you know, they're planning on making that trip to the Nationals. What do you recommend that they do as a coach to prepare for the Nationals? Well, it really depends. Are we, are we talking about like a, a person that's like a first time attendee or somebody that's kind of seasoned that's been shooting say five years. Or um, five years. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, let me think about that while you give your answer to the first part. What are you going to do to get ready? Okay. okay. So for me to get ready for the national championship, personally, I don't feel like I need to go out and shoot a lot. Um, and here's why I don't have a lot of time now. Um, 
fortunately tomorrow, tomorrow being Thursday, which is uh, I'm actually off tomorrow. Fortunately for me, I'll probably go somewhere and even if it's just shooting a hundred targets on a round of sporting. To me, that just kind of gets me uh, in a mental state of mind that when I go on this course and, and no matter what I shoot out of a hundred targets today, it helps me remember why I'm out there. And it's almost like getting the gun warm again before the next shoot. Okay. Keeping the gun fresh, kind of keeping your gun fit. Um, another challenge for me this year, um, I set out last year in August after getting a physical. And of course, every time we go to the doctor, your, your primary doctor is, is going to tell everybody, Hey, you need to lose a few pounds. Hey, you need to lose a few pounds. And after hearing that for three years in a row, I finally decided to make that change and lose a few pounds. And I ended up losing 35 pounds in, in a year. Wow. Congratulations. Um, it, 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 thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and it was a slow roll. Um, I tried to stay active as much as I could based on the work schedule like, that I have and, and tried to hit the gym as much as I could, which ended up only being about one or two days a week. Um, but just to kind of keep myself a little bit lighter on my feet and to feel healthier, I changed my diet around. And that has been a challenge for me this year as far as, um, I wouldn't say gun fit, uh, but this kind of goes into when you lose weight, it changes everything. Yes. And and, and I guess I'm sort of a wimp when it comes to recoil. I, I was that guy that always had to shoot ounce and eight, 1300 or 1250, thinking that that was the advantage. And I became such a wimp. I've, I resorted to shooting one ounce, 1300, one ounce, 1250. And I feel a lot better about that now and that decision to do so because it, it actually saves on your shoulder. It really does. Yes. But going back to the, the preparation for nationals, I try to get myself in a frame of mind like, hey, you know, this is almost like a vacation for me. So I want to be able to enjoy that time off, even though I'm going to shoot and going to try to win. So I, I treat it as a vacation almost, especially that I can get that time off away from work. Mm -hmm. And and that just kind of helps me get in the right frame of mind. And it's visually um, when I get to the shoot. Um, mentally before the shoot, I try to prepare myself, uh, to put myself in, in shoes towards the future of where I can see myself placing at the shoot. And that has a lot to do with the confidence that you have going into the shoot. Right. So, okay. I thought about the part two and here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer for like an E through double A guy and the reason why i'm categorizing those people like that is because most likely if they're not already up to your level they don't have the volume of targets that you do so what regardless first time attendee or not maybe uh maybe the guy that's looking for a little bit better preparation this time going down there what do you recommend i would recommend i mean we'll, we'll just categorize um we'll just categorize those shooters all together whether you're a first-time attendee or this is your third or fourth trip to the national, I think the hype is what gets to people. And Agreed. Let's just, yeah, I think the hype is what gets in your head about the national championship. And I think that comes from other shooters that have experienced the national championship. So let's just say, hey, this is my first time going to the national championship. Um, I'm in B class. I have a friend that lives 30 minutes from me. Um, he's been there five times already, and he's he's telling me about the national championship. I think the hype is what gets people. I think it gets their anxiety flared up. Yeah, and and not necessarily 
that the main event when you shoot the nationals is a tough event. It's just an endurance competition. Yes. And I can, I can, especially if you shoot the four day rotation. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And Sean and I can speak from experience on this because last year was our first year attending the nationals. It's overwhelming. It's a lot uh, because you've got every vendor of every corner of this industry is there. Um, all the important people that you've heard about, read about, seen in magazines, whatever, they're all there. And it's it's a lot to take in. And then you got to turn around and focus on what you're there to do. So, yeah, I, I think you nailed that very well, Clint. Well, um, without a doubt, the national championship, it's you could describe it. It's the biggest goat roping and pony show that there is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It really is. That's well said. That's well said. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> Well, Clint, do you do you have any sponsors or anybody you want to thank? Um, anybody that's helped you out along the way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I would just go. On, I would I would point out primarily. Um, I would like to thank uh, Dupont Pregolf and Pregolf International. Uh, between Dupont Pregolf, uh, you know, Kimball Rollins, Leslie, Tim, um, and it, you know, Ki. You know, I, I give a lot of credit to these guys. I mean, you know, Alex and, and Betty. Uh, or Al, uh, Betty and Dieter Kriegoff, um, Alex Deal, and Will Fennell. I, I give a lot of credit to Will Fennell, um, Rollins Brown, and, and Kimball DuPont for helping me get to that point and helping me with uh, sponsorship on both ends between DuPont Kriegoff and Kriegoff International. And they have been just super, super, super great to me, a very supportive Next month in November, I will I will have been with Kriegoff International and Dupont Kriegoff for seven years now, and they have just they've been a big blessing. And and I know I know you guys are bare pelt guys, and, and I don't want to it's to you know come to a shocker to y'all, but I I wear a Castellani vest and, um, <laughs> between <laughs> between Castellani and Ultimate Shooting Accessories and Sound Gear. Tom Lotus, he's just been an awesome super guy, extremely supportive, and and I, I couldn't I couldn't be more happy with those guys they um they have been just a, a big blessing I'll, I'll just repeat it i've been a big blessing to me you know in, in the years coming in the years past well they have they have a great shooter all of your sponsors have a great shooter new clint so um you know everything that they're doing for you is well deserved yeah i i do want to do a rapid fire with you but i'm going to throw the the ball over to the big man here i've done it the last two times let's see if he can do it without screwing it up yeah i, I mean <laughs> And anything's possible. Right? <laughs> well, Clint, you already, I mean, you listen to the show, so you know what it's all about. Um, and I know you just answered a few of my questions, but we'll start off from the, from the top if you're ready to go. All right. So, Absolutely. Uh, Fire away. All right. So what gun do you shoot? So right now I shoot a uh, Kriegoff K80 Parkours. It's the standard. Um, you know, I, I shot it fixed uh, barrels for about a year and a half, and then I ended up having Briley put thin walls in it. But currently... I'm shooting uh, thin wall extreme chokes and a pair of twenties uh, out of the gun. Okay, and what's the length of the barrels on that? Uh, Thirty-two inch. Okay, porting or no porting? Uh, no porting. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm too lazy to clean it. Oh, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I, got I don't you. like cleaning porting. But I tell you I what, like though, you're 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 recoil sensitive. You'd be surprised with that eliminating that muzzle jump will do for you. Yep. I'm telling you, we're going we're gonna to introduce you to the guys over at Rhino before it's over with. <laughs> so so on your on your Briley chokes, what's your go-to constrictions when you're shooting sporting? He said 20. Do you listen? Oh, I didn't hear him say 20, sorry. Oh, my God. He's he's borderline. He's going to screw this up, Clint. I'm going to take it away from him. It's all right. 
Yeah, <laughs> I shot the Briley's. I shot the Briley's for about a year and a half, and then I ended up swapping to extreme chokes. And um, I, I'm I'm very pro having a light front end on the gun because I, growing up as a boy, you know, you get used to shooting field shotguns, whether it was a, a, a 1100 Remington or a Super X1 Winchester or a Model 12 pump, you know, you get used to shooting field guns and that gun has the feel of a, feet, a field gun and the sight picture of a field gun. That's why I like it so much. Gotcha. That's awesome. Uh, what are your go-to shells and what's the recipe? Uh, so I said before, I used to shoot ounce and ape a lot. Um, lately, uh, the shell that I have really gotten close with is, you know, as you, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of one ounce between one ounce, 1250 feet per second and, and uh, 1300 feet per second. But uh, lately I've been shooting the game bore Evos, the one ounce, 1250. There you go. Okay. Seven and a half or eights. 90% of my shooting. I, I like eights. I like the extra pellets, um, especially shooting. If we have a lot of biodegradable targets, um, I'm, I'm a big pro eights guy. I'll shoot seven and a halves if we have a rabbit at a distance of, you know, 40 yards or better, but I'm mostly, I'm an eights guy. That's what I like. Okay. You said you're a Castellani vest wearer. Uh, what about your glasses? Uh, currently using the uh, Fila um, Outlaw. I don't. I think it's the X6, I believe, X7. I can't remember which one it is. Okay. Um, but the lens that I'm really falling in love with is the uh, RHCP, which is the, the Red Hot Chili Pepper lens. Okay. Um, because I'm actually color deficient. So that is another handicap that has affected my shooting, especially uh, when you grow up and you don't really realize that you're colorblind. And then you go in for an eye exam and then they decide to do a color test. And, and I wasn't, I was 20 years old before I actually figured out I was colorblind. Oh, wow. And just, you know, growing up all those years, just thinking it was normal. And then going in for an eye exam, just a normal eye exam, you know, yearly checkup. And then they wanted to do a color test and it's just, you know, lo and behold, Hey, you're, you know, some of the spectrum in your eyes is just not quite uh, the same as most normal people. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and I know you said you do wear protection. Go ahead and say one more time. Um, so I'm with, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it kind of falls into place with ultimate shooting accessories and sound gear. Uh, sound gear makes some phenomenal um, hearing protection. I'm using the sound gear Phantom. Um, I love it as opposed to most of the uh, previous hearing protection that you've seen over the years. And I like the Phantom so much because it actually has a charging deck. You can plug it in and charge the deck, almost like almost like a set of uh, wireless Bluetooth earbuds. Um, you can play music through them. You can take phone through them if you had to on a course, if it's that important. And I, I like it because they don't break the bank. You know, I've seen some people spend two or three thousand um, dollars on a set of electronic earplugs, and where you've got sound gear Phantoms, you're only spending just a little over $1,400 and you're getting wireless ones that don't take a battery. You charge the deck that they're on, you place the earplugs on the deck to charge and you can charge the deck that they're on. And that deck should last quite some hours. So it's, uh, I love them. And, and when I got these, um, I truthfully didn't realize how deaf I was until I put them in. Yeah. That's see the phantoms are, or what Sean and I have, except for Odo Pro specifies the technology that goes in them. Um, and it's they're just a little bit more enhanced. So, yeah, we we've basically have somewhat the similar set that you do, and I, and I can testify they are awesome. Yeah. 
Well, last but not least, Clint, uh, what's in your bag? And the reason we're asking that, is there anything weird that you carry around with you on the course that maybe, you know, people wouldn't know? Like you got a lucky rabbit's foot, you got a special snack that you always got to have. I mean, what, what's in your bag that you carry around that might uh, surprise people? Usually when I'm at a shoot, I'm weird. I, I, I love beef jerky. I want to keep some beef jerky in a toolbox with me of my, of my Ranger or even in the truck. Um, and I always keep a, a coin with me. It's kind of my lucky coin. I kind of leave it in my backpack and it's with me. Um, I guess you could say that kind of falls under the lucky rabbit's foot. But <laughs> those are two things you'll always catch me with. And if my parents are at a shoot with me, you can always expect, and I'm sure my mom will have it at the national championship. So if you see me or you see me around my mother, something that's always going to be in the ranger with us. If they're traveling with me is she makes homemade pound cake. Ooh. And there's oh, there's always going to be homemade. Yeah, there's always going to be homemade pound cake in the Ranger. <laughs> I'm squatting with you. <laughs> right. Come on, we, we'll do it. We, we can shoot some tiny guns. We can shoot pump gun. Let's, Let's do it. Is 410, is 410 feet task a thing yet? We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> we can start around. Only for those brave enough to try. Uh, yeah, right. Well, you just answered my question if you were going to be down at Jack Links or not. I guess if you're a big jerky fan, you know, I'm going to see you down there in February, too. I plan on attending with, with, if all things goes accordingly, I plan on attending the jet wings. I hate that I missed it this year in the, in the spring, right when the tournament season kicked off, I wanted to make it just couldn't make it work out with my work schedule, but I plan on attending it this year, this coming year. Gotcha. Well, Clint, I'm really looking forward to, to uh, hooking up with you down at the nationals. We talked about lunch or a beer afterwards and I'm looking forward to it. I am too. You know, well, like I said, I, I told you, we'll, I'll be there all week um, from Sunday to, to the following Monday. So, um, looking forward to seeing you guys down there. And I think it, I think it's going to be a good year for the national championship, um, especially with the super squad that's going to take place. I, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Um, that'll be really, um, it'll be different. It'll yeah. be different, and I feel like it's a good step. Yeah, for sure. And then with them filming it on top of it, I think that's a step in the right direction, also. I think so. I, I agree. I, I, I think I, it's the best shot. I kind of question the two hosts that they chose, but, you know, we won't talk about that. I was wondering about that. Yeah. I've been hearing rumors. So. Real sketchy. Real sketchy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, you know, hey, anyway, moving on. <laughs> well, Clint, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here, man. It's been so much fun talking to you, and I really Absolutely. appreciate your, your point of view on everything we've, we've touched on here. So any final thoughts before we let you get out of here? Um, not, I mean, not really. The only thing I could say to all the shooters out there that are working close, you know, keep your head up. Um, the light at the end of the tunnel is not so far away. You can do this if you ever feel uh, any self-doubt in achieving goals. Um, don't start with major ones. Start with small ones. You know, if you if you have a goal in shooting, don't don't just make it about winning at this shoot or the next shoot. Make it a small goal. Uh, let's say my NSCA average is. 77.2 percent well by the time the next year rolls around let's try to make it 79 percent. let's start with small goals you start with small goals they lead to bigger goals you know you know and, and and good advice i could tell people when you're out there on the course shooting um find a good group of guys you enjoy shooting with you yeah. know it's it's nice to be cordial to everybody you meet in the shooting world um, but find a good group of guys keep your circle small keep a good, good group of guys and gals um but keep that circle small, and the reason I say that is is because those are the people you can fall back on. Those are your friends. That's, that's who you can depend on. 
Yeah. And, and if any, you know, we talk about goals sometimes, you know, you hear a lot of shooters um, that have been interviewed in recent years. Uh, you can date it back 20 years almost. You know, they, they talk about the goals for their shooting for the next part of the future. You know, you, you could say, hey, I want to go on and win on the U.S. Open or win a national championship or, or win the World Fit Ask. You know, sometimes I feel like my goals are a little different in the shooting world. I want to be a positive influence for everybody that I meet, even if people just hear about me and have never met me. I just want to be a positive influence for all shooters of all ages, of all classes, of all talents. And I think that's what we need more of in the shooting community. I think we need the positive influence from everybody. I, I agree. Uh, humble yeah, people, you know, humble people. That's what we need. That's well said. So, yeah. It, we, you know, as a whole, I think sporting place, there's not a finer group of people. I mean, you can compare it to any other sport. And I, I really believe truly that there's not a finer group of people than the people you meet around a gun club. And I think if you're, if your advice hits the right ears and they take it to heart, I think you're correct. I think that's what's needed uh, is to stay humble and be a positive influence. Um, I think that's that's only going to help solidify the sport, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. I think so. And and one specific audience you could, you could look at is the people that are on the road to master class. The advice I give them um, while doing all of these things that I mentioned is don't rush it. Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride to it. Um, don't get in a hurry. Enjoy every shoot as they come. That's the best way I could summarize that. Yeah. yeah. That's well said. Absolutely. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Clint, thank you again. Um, as usual, there's so much more we can talk about, and uh, we'd love to have you back on here in the near future. Yep. Uh, maybe we'll get with you this winter when things slow down a little bit on the shooting season and uh, get another episode with you because I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into some of these some of these subjects. I agree, and I think we could easily do that. We could even bring up uh, a little bit uh, how some of our hunting season could go as well. Uh, there you go. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Let's, let's plan on it. Well, Clint, thank you again, bud. We're going to run. It's been an honor and a pleasure having you on. Well, I, I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on. Sean, Jason, y'all have been an absolute pleasure to talk with. You too, man. You too. Have a good night, and hopefully we'll run into you soon. Yes, sir. Hope to see you all at the national championship. Yes, right. sir. We'll see you, see you, buddy. Yes, sir. See you guys. Uh, bye-bye. Well, Jason, I don't know what you think, but that's one more guy speaking from the heart, another blue-collar working man shooter with a lot of great info, and hopefully everybody else got a bunch out of that. Yeah, my head's still reeling. There's so much information there that we kind of spewed. Oh, I think we could have gone another hour, even though this one kind of ran long. Easily, and I think we will definitely be getting Clint back on. Definitely. definitely. Um, and, you know, seriously, I, man, I just can't stress it enough. If you don't subscribe to Clay Shooting USA, we are no way affiliated with them. We're not trying to push their product, but go get that issue just so you can read that article, if nothing else. Yeah, and if, I don't know. Do they have an online option to get on they there? They do. They do. They have a digital version. Um, you know, I get the magazine, the you know, the physical copy of the magazine, but they sure. do have an online option, and it might be worth it just to buy that episode. The episode. The issue. The issue, yeah. Yeah. And just so you can read that article because, I, you know, God bless Tony. Yeah. I, I think he had some really good – I think he was on to something. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. But, um, you know, aside from that, you know, Clinton Hinton, the guy's well-spoken. Um, I know we ran a little bit long. I don't want to edit any of that. I think it no. was very well 
very well said on his behalf. Yep. Um, and it's all valid. It's all valid. Every bit of it is. And I think people can get something out of it just like they did the Matt Miller podcast, which we've had a big response out of. Yep. And even he mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, you know, Sean, this all goes back to what we tell people every week. Yep. Take somebody shooting. Take them out to a charity event. Get a gun in their hand. Take them to a registered tournament. Turn them on to this sport that we love and and enjoy every time we're out there on the course. Or God willing. Yeah. Take them to a club where there's a new match play going on. <laughs> right. Hopefully right. something soon will be coming right. up with that. And hopefully right. we're one of the first guys to announce it. Yeah. Hey, look, I was sincere when I said that. If there's a club out there that's willing to put it on, go by Tony's rules and his format. And they want to give it a try. Yeah. Reach out to us. Reach out to us. I'll be more than happy to announce it. I'll be more than happy to push it for you, you know. And, and Sean, I think you're on board. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a great idea, and I think it will help grow the sport, and it will actually probably interject some more life into it as well. Absolutely. Until next week, Mr. Alley, we are going to book out of here, but. Yep. We can't wait to see you all back here on the Dead Pair Podcast. We'll see you next time on the Dead Pair Podcast. The Dead Pair Podcast is energized by KLMO Game Boy US. The Dead Pair theme song was written, arranged, and produced by Toby Tomplay. Special thanks to the following sponsors Bear Pelt, Negrini, Rhino, Odo Pro, Don Grant, Atlas Trap Company, RE Ranger, Wooly Shooting, Folded Wing Apparel Company, and White Flyer Targets. 